Chapter 17. Enrich Your Relationships There are only two words of advice you need to improve any relationship. Say it. I was speaking at a sales meeting for a retail brokerage firm in Florida, and afterwards a tall man named Don approached me. He was in his late 50s, he had a beard, and he was wearing a sport coat over a Madras shirt. He said he wanted to share something with me about my five-second rule. Don had his own version of the rule that had changed his life. He had made a decision a few years ago that nothing important would be left unsaid. Then he shared a story about how, acting on instinct, he pushed himself to share something with his daughter that had completely changed their relationship. Over the years, his daughter Amber and her husband had taken in family members who had fallen on hard times. They also volunteered almost every weekend in their community and had completed several service trips. Don told them that he admired them. He admired how they lived their lives and the example that their lives provided to the world. He added that he was so proud of the young woman Amber had become. And then he told me this, right before I was about to say it, I was afraid. Imagine that. I was afraid to say something because I was afraid to get emotional. He said that after that conversation, his relationship with his daughter was never the same again. They are now closer than he ever imagined, and the experience inspired him to live by this rule. Leave nothing important unsaid. You see, intimacy, connection, it takes courage. Risking getting emotional or upsetting someone so that you can express yourself is scary, but the result is nothing short of magic. I experienced that magic in a simple conversation with my father last fall. I was on my way to the airport having just finished a speaking engagement in Miami and I saw a text from my dad. Call me as soon as you can. That's odd, I thought to myself. I called the house and my mom picked up the phone. Hey mom, I just got a text from dad asking me to call. Is everything okay? My mom said, you should talk to him. Let me get him for you. She set the phone down and as I tried to catch her, mom, 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 wait, what? I could hear the kitchen door crack as she opened it and yelled for my dad, Bob, Mel's on the phone. I had no idea what was going on. Now, at first, I thought that I was in trouble, of course, right? I sat in the back of that cab. I felt like I was a 10-year-old who was about to get grounded. I mean, isn't it amazing how quickly your mind can take you down the rabbit hole that something's wrong? Uncertainty had triggered my habit of worrying, and now I was inside that mental what-if loop. Uh Uh-oh. Did Grandma die? Did I do something wrong? Is Dad in financial trouble? It must be me. What did I do? Did you catch what happened? Within five seconds, I had convinced myself that my grandmother had died, that I had done something wrong, that my dad was disappointed in me, that somebody was in trouble. I heard the back door open, and I could hear him walking toward the kitchen. He picked up the phone, and he was as nonchalant as you could be. Hey, Mel, thanks for calling. So where are you right now? I was freaking out is where I was. I'm in Miami on the way to the airport. I got your test, Dad. Dad, you scared me to death. Did I do something? He laughed and he said, (laughs) no, it's not about you. It's about me. I didn't want to tell you and your brother until I was sure. I almost dropped the phone. Oh, my God, you're dying. You have cancer. He interrupted and he said, will you let me talk? I do not have cancer. I have an aneurysm and I need open brain surgery to remove it or it's going to kill me. 
He went on to explain the whole story. He had had a bout of vertigo and he had collapsed while playing around a golf with his buddies. That led to an MRI to check out the vertigo, which he was cleared of, but they happened to make an incidental finding of the aneurysm. They found it by mistake. And he was telling me he was having surgery at the end of the week at the University of Michigan. Well, I sat frozen on the other side of the phone. My father-in-law had died from esophageal cancer. And within seconds of my dad starting to talk about open brain surgery, I had this immediate thought of the day of my father-in-law's surgery. And it was just a moment. I'll never forget this. We were all sitting in the waiting area at Sloan Kettering in Manhattan, and the nurses were wheeling my father-in-law, Ken, off to surgery. And just before they turned to push him through those double doors, you know how they separate the the wing where you sit from where they take him back to surgery with those double doors. He turned and he looked back at us. He smiled and he gave us a little wave. And we all smiled and waved back and I remember giving him a thumbs up. I remember that moment because I remember feeling this pang of fear. Right as he turned around and disappeared through the swinging doors. We had no idea that his surgery was about to go horribly wrong and that the complications would eventually kill him. I snapped back into the present moment, terrified now that I had remembered that moment with my father-in-law, and so I listened to my dad and I started to picture my father waving goodbye from a hospital hallway at the University of Michigan, and I was afraid. And, you know, I don't know why, but I really wanted to know if my dad was scared too. I had this instinct. I just wanted to ask him. I wanted to, I wanted to ask him if he was afraid. And immediately I hesitated and immediately my brain got involved and was like, do not ask that question. Of course he's scared, you idiot. You know, just keep it light. Keep it positive. You don't want to freak him out and have that aneurysm explode while you're talking to him on the phone, Mel. That moment right there, that's what Don was talking about. Leave nothing important unsaid. So I five, four, three, two, one, and I asked, I said, Dad, are you scared? There was silence on the other end of the phone, and I started to immediately regret asking him the question. And I'll tell you what, I was not expecting to hear the answer. I'm not scared. I'm nervous. But I really, I really trust my surgeon. And you know, Mel, I actually feel kind of lucky. Lucky? Yeah. I have an opportunity to try and fix this thing before it kills me. And at the end of the day, if something happens, I have no regrets. Watching my mom take care of my dad after his stroke or watching Susie die of ALS, that was horrid. Quality of life, I realize it's really important to me. And the quality of my life has been more than I could have ever wished for. As a kid, I always wanted to be a doctor, and I became one. Your mom and I have had a wonderful life together. You and your brother actually turned out. I've basically done exactly what I wanted to do with my life. And that's all you can ever ask for. That and more time to enjoy it. I have to tell you, I think it was one of the most beautiful moments I've ever shared with my dad. And without the five-second rule, I wouldn't have had the courage to ask the question. I just sat there in the back of the cab and I took it all in. 
And then he said this, actually, there is one thing that I want to do. I'd like to go see Africa. And if I make it to 90, I want to jump out of a plane like George H. Bush did on his 90th birthday. (laughs) I laughed and said, you will, Dad, you will. Not with me. I'm not jumping out of a plane, but you can do it. (laughs) That conversation with my dad reminded me of something important. Waiting for the right time to get real in your relationships, it's a fool's errand. There is no right time to have the conversation, to ask the hard questions, to say, I love you, or take the time to truly listen. There's only right now. Sometimes it's not merely a hard question that you need to ask. It's actually ending the silence between you and somebody. It had been years since Courtney let her relationship go with her father, but she had been wanting to make amends. After learning the rule, she didn't pass out or overthink it like she would have in the past. Instead, she trusted her instincts and just picked up the phone. I told you, it takes five seconds to change your life. This is what Courtney wrote. I have to tell you, I listened to you in Salt Lake City a month ago and came home on fire. I actually used it to make amends with my father. It had been years since I let things go and moved on, and I actually sat in my fiancé's room and said out loud, 54321, and just hit call and did it. And I didn't pass out or overthink it like I used to. So thank you for not only helping me in my business, but also personally. Hiding is what Mike was doing in his marriage until he found the courage to 54321 and say it and be more honest with himself. As he wrote to me, I am talking to my wife again about subjects I would have rather just been ignored. Not like they were going away because my head was in the sand or anything. And I'm being more honest with myself. And most of all, I like that. I may not be perfect, but I'm worthy. I'm surprised by just how damn good that feels to be worthy. Mike just shared a very powerful secret. To feel worthy you must first make your own instincts worthy of your attention and your effort. And Anthony was surprised to learn that something so simple as having the courage to lean into what I normally shy away from could create such enormous change in his marriage, helping him to be closer to his wife and to get his needs met. Here's what he wrote. That something so simple could create such enormous change. That was surprising. I used to expect people to know my needs and would harbor resentment when my needs were not met, mostly with my wife. I thought all wives could just read minds. Imagine my surprise. By using the five-second rule to simply lean into what I normally would shy away from, I'm making great strides in a few areas of my life. I'm smiling as I type this. I'm closer to my wife and my needs are starting to be met. I had no idea my silence was the problem. As Anthony As Anthony said, he had no idea that my silence was the problem. Silence is always the problem. Deciding not to say what you feel creates what researchers call cognitive dissonance between what you truly believe in your heart and what you actually do in the moment. And those problems, guess what? When you stay silent and this cognitive dissonance gets created, the problems build. And over time, they can break your relationships. That's what happened to Estelle during what she described as an ordinary moment in time. A seemingly stupid argument with her husband cracked a branch in the silent woods 
and her response was immediate. I asked him for a divorce. But here's the thing you need to know. She had been thinking about it for years. Here's how Estelle described it. My mind was suddenly crystal clear, and I used the five-second rule to say it. It was now my choice to do it, or I would allow my brain to pull the emergency brake. I chose in that moment to act. I asked for a divorce. In retrospect, that decision catapulted my life in the direction I knew I wanted to go, but always held myself back from. This is not to say it was easy. It absolutely has not been easy. But I have never for one second doubted my decision. In that pure moment of action, of truly choosing to act on what I knew was right and authentically me, I have found myself. There have been dark and sometimes lonely moments. But what surprises me is that in those moments, I never regret my choice. We all have moments throughout our day to act or to choose. We sometimes hold ourselves back. We choose to be cautious and not act and to not risk. I choose to act. And it is in those moments that I feel most alive, have found my soulmate, and more importantly, my true self. I said from the beginning that the rule was simple. I never said saying it would be easy. The truth is the shortest distance between two people, and it may very well save your relationship. Silence creates distance. Truth creates connection. And that's exactly what Natasha discovered. Natasha was overwhelmed with her life after her mother died suddenly. Her optimism evaporated, and she could only see negatives in her future. That was the moment when she learned the five-second rule. She wrote to me about how she used it. Here's what she said. The first one is a small one, really. I work 10 hours a day, and by Thursday, I'm usually shattered. I use the five-second rule to give me a boost to do chores when, really, I'd love to crash on the sofa. I get the impulse to empty the dishwasher. I count to five, get up, do it, then it's done. My second use of the rule is a bit bigger and linked to your first book. I was having a difficult time at the start of the year after my mother passed away suddenly from cancer. I find myself getting overwhelmed often with life in general. My usual optimism evaporated. My three-year relationship was suffering as a result. I felt daily anxiety that something bad would happen, and I was worried the relationship was unsustainable as I couldn't see any positives in the future, only more negatives. In June, after realizing I was not fine, I used the five-second rule to start a conversation about my relationship. I explained how I felt and how I wanted things to be better, but I didn't know how to fix it. My partner patiently listened to me, and we took time out to talk and connect. We ended up receiving help from a relationship counselor to help us gain new perspectives. We realized how much we had been through, how resilient we were as a couple, and how I had nothing to fear about our connection being broken. We have been nurturing our relationship for the past two months, and I now live without fear. I'm confident in our connection. This was reinforced more at the weekend when my boyfriend proposed. Of course I said yes, and I'm the happiest I have ever been. I had no idea what the outcome of my original conversation would be, but I knew I needed to speak from the heart and see what happened. The outcome has been amazing. I am so grateful I didn't let fear paralyze me. We often fail to appreciate 
The profound power that's held inside the smallest moments of our relationships as the days race by. I recently had something happen that reminded me of the importance of slowing down, being present, saying it, and tuning in when your heart speaks to you. After giving a speech, a man sent me a Facebook message, and he asked me to check out a memorial page for a family friend. It was for a guy named Josh Woodruff. He felt that Josh was the epitome of a person who lived his life to the fullest and embodied the five-second rule. And he sent me the Facebook memorial page because I, because he thought I would enjoy reading the tributes. On an instinct, I clicked on the link that he sent me to the memorial page on Facebook. And the first post I saw was from a woman named Mary. It was beautiful. It was about intimacy and the connectedness we all want in life and how we pull away from it for the silliest reasons. A week before Josh was killed by a hit-and-run driver in New Orleans, Mary had seen him at the grocery store but didn't say anything. I'll let her tell you the story. This is what she wrote on his memorial page. Josh and my son Jared have been friends since second grade. We consider the Woodruffs some of the dearest and most admired friends. The week before Josh died, I saw him twice in the grocery store. The first time, he was quite a ways away, and I thought, oh, there's Josh, he must be home for Christmas. But I didn't say anything to him, because I didn't want to holler across the store. The same week, I saw him again, with a big grin and a stocking cap on, talking to somebody. He was so much closer, and I still didn't say anything, because I had run to the store quick with no makeup and I was dressed horrid, just hoping I didn't see anyone I knew. I thought, odd that I would see him twice in one week, so I prayed for his family and their Christmas holiday. When I heard he died, I felt so bad I hadn't talked to him. I didn't know that would be the last time, but my last image of him was that huge light-up-the-world smile. Last week, I was in Target, and I saw a friend, Jenny, quite a ways away. I started to walk out the door when I remembered Josh. I was in a hurry, and I didn't see any reason to stop and talk, and then I thought again of Josh. I turned around and hollered down the aisle, Hey, Jenny! Mary's post is an incredible reminder for all of us. Sometimes there is no next time. When your heart speaks, say it. I reached out to Josh's mom, Karen, to ask if I could share this story about Josh. And she shared a story about Josh with me. Josh was not afraid of other people's emotions. When he was a teenager, my mother was diagnosed with cancer. I knew we were losing her. One day I sat in the family room by myself to think and to cry. Josh came in and asked me what was wrong. And then he eye-locked me. He didn't look away or fidget. He just sat there and listened. From that day, we started moving from just a mother-son to a friend-friend relationship because he took the time to listen to me as a human being. I'm sad that I never got the chance to meet Josh. He sounded like an amazing man. As his mom, Karen, described him, Josh was the epitome of doing. He took his intentions and acted on them. After his death, we said that he lived life 
without hesitation. She closed her email to me by attaching a text that Josh had sent to her and her husband on New Year's Eve, just hours before he was killed. He wrote to his mom and his dad, before the night begins, just wanted to say Happy New Year and that I'm so ridiculously thankful for you. Very much pumped to see what 2016 has for us. And his mom wrote back, Happy New Year. We are so thankful for you and for the life you bring to us and to our family. Stay safe tonight. I had to say that. I'm the mom. As Karen put it, Josh thought it. He sent it. We'll treasure it for the rest of our lives. Leave nothing important unsaid. Just five, four, three, two, one, and say it. <laughs>